Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. Today on the show, we're getting a little social with Ryan Schultz. Ryan is an academic librarian at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada. And he hosts a very popular website that covers news and views about the topic of social VR. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me, Craig. You're most welcome. Let's get into a question I ask almost all my participants, and that is, what got you interested in VR in the first place? Okay. Well, um, I, I, uh, I first got into VR in December of 2016 and January of 2017. I upgraded my computer to a powerful gaming level machine and purchased an Oculus Rift headset. And a month later, I got the Oculus Touch hand controllers. And I just basically became really excited at the possibilities that virtual reality can offer. Um, I explored various things like applications that are on the Oculus store, like guided meditation apps. I tried my hand at making art. And most significantly, I was accepted into the closed beta test of a social VR platform called Sansar, which is by a company called Linden Lab in San Francisco. I've heard of Linden Labs because they did Second Life. Is that not right? Yes. Linden Lab is perhaps best known for its product called Second Life, which is now 16 years old. And it, people might be surprised to hear that even at that advanced age, there are still about 600,000 monthly regular users, people who sign in at least once a month. And it is still very profitable for Linden Lab. Yeah, I, I assumed it was dismantled or not available. So that's interesting to hear that it's still ongoing. Yeah, one of the reasons why Second Life is still going so strong is that there are still many content creators who are basically making, earning, and cashing out millions of dollars a year, creating and selling products and services to other avatars. Some of the listeners, go ahead, Ryan, sorry. Uh, and obviously, uh, with Sansar, what Linden Lab hopes is that they're going to be able to replicate the success of Second Life with a, a technologically newer platform that supports virtual reality. Mm. Some of the listeners may not even be familiar with uh, social platforms, let alone social VR. If you had to explain it in a Coles Notes version, what what is social VR to the newcomer? Okay. Yeah. Um, my blog tends to focus on a niche of virtual reality called social VR. When you play a game in VR, quite often you're playing by yourself or perhaps against another person. Social VR is a place where you can gather with other avatars and its purpose is fully open-ended. Uh, you can socialize, you can chat, you can have uh, historical role play. 
you can do pretty much anything you want to because it's completely open-ended. And the social aspect of this, of these platforms like Sansar is why it is called social VR. And when people are in social VR, they can pick, as you alluded to, an avatar. Can you explain yes. Can you explain that to people as well? Okay, an avatar is your personal representation, how you want to be seen by everyone else around you that shares the space in social VR. So for instance, if I decided that I wanted to dress up and be a geisha, a Japanese geisha, I could I could purchase uh, a female body, a female avatar body, dress that body in Japanese geisha costume, um, perhaps purchase some animations to make her flutter a fan, and I would be role-playing a geisha while I am having a conversation with you. Um, basically, you can be anybody or anything you want, and that's one of the valuable things about virtual about social VR and virtual worlds. They give you a chance to be in somebody else's skin, try on a different persona, and and see what that feels like. Some VR apps vary, but in general, what parts do you see? Do you see your hands? Do you see? Uh, do you oh, okay. Well, it depends on the platform that you're in. If you are in Sansar and you're in a VR headset, if you were to look down, you would see your your avatar's lower body, like your your torso and your legs and your hands. And then it is also possible to to press a button on your touch controllers and then see yourself from a third-person point of view. You can switch back and forth between first-person point of view, looking out the eyes of your avatar, or third-person point of view, looking at your avatar. Ryan, you've alluded to this already a bit, but I want to expand this point. So I recently read a book by uh, Jeremy Balinson, and it was called Experience on Demand. And in his book, he talks a lot about the potential for VR. And one chapter was solely dedicated to the potential of social VR. From your perspective, where do you see some of these potentials? Well, uh, for instance, um, using social VR, it is possible to have meetings with people and attend conferences. And instead of just being just using text chat, um, you would be able to have tone of voice, body language, hand gestures. It's a much more immersive way of being in an environment and interacting with other people. And a lot of people who have not tried VR yet really don't get mm. it. And they don't get it until they have their first few VR experiences and then the light comes on and they realize, hey, this, this is a potential game changer. Mm. Uh, I have, I think I've, I've about maybe three quarters of the way through the, the Balenson book. And, and I like how he describes VR as an empathy machine. It puts you in the feet of another completely different person. For example, 
you could have an experience in VR where you are inhabiting the body of a African-American and you are experiencing the kind of discrimination that many African-Americans still unfortunately experience in modern day society. And you would come away from that experience having a much different perspective on what that is like. Yes. So I, I have limited social VR experience. I've tried uh, the game Rec Room, which is a popular right. social VR application. It's really popular. It tends to be overrun with kids and teenagers who are borrowing mommy and daddy's VR headset. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Rec Room myself, but, you know, it works for yeah. some people. Well, and you alluded to this. So uh, I can't remember the article, but... I know for sure they, they ran into some issues of bullying and harassment. And, you know, this is, I guess, the biggest fear of parents. And then more importantly, because of the nature of my podcast, educators, and that is when avatars are anonymous, there tends to be a worry that a student thinks that there's no mechanism for consequences. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I mean, well, okay, my thoughts on this are the following. I mean, every single virtual world and social VR space has had to implement tools to mute and block trolls, griefers, and people who are harassing other people. Um, VR chat is a good example of a social VR platform which got a lot of publicity and attention because of live streamers like PewDiePie, who basically broadcast their antics, antics on VR chat and brought in thousands of new users. They, had, they struggled under the onslaught of popularity and they were forced to implement a very finely graduated series of security measures so that you can basically have control over what's going on around you. So if, if another avatar around you, for instance, is verbally abusing you, you mm. can mute them. If they have an avatar, which is like almost giving you seizures because of flashing lights, you can block them. Um, basically every single platform out there has to deal with the problem of anonymous users. And the only way around that really is to do something like what Facebook wants to do with Facebook Horizon, which is their new social VR platform they're launching in early 2020. And that is link everything to your personally identifying Facebook mm. account. So you're not a fan of an anonymity at all? Uh, I think it has its place. Um, there certainly is a rich tradition in places like Second Life for you to have an anonymous avatar. You're not really under your real name. However, I'm not sure how that will play out, and there will be different kinds of solutions implemented on different platforms. Because uh, I wrote a paper in your... It's a double-edged double yeah. sword. It can be freeing but it can also be abused. I, I concur. I wrote a paper in university years ago and talked about how huge sporting events, like big hockey games, you know, there, there's a, 
there's a freeness to those events where because you're amongst such a big crowd, you become anonymous and, and you can be maybe do things that you normally wouldn't do, like yell and scream or paint your face and, you know, cheer for, uh, you know, someone that you may not in front of your friend group at the office feel comfortable cheering for. Well, I, I'm just reminded now of an incident where um, as somebody who normally was like a, a, a straight A student, a very, beha- very well behaved fellow, was basically videotaped trying to set fire to a police car during a riot after winning a hockey game in Vancouver several mm-hmm. years ago. You know, something about the mentality of the mob that brings out the worst in people. And, um, you know, I have had experiences in social VR where I've been a part of crowds of as large as 400 people in one space doing, you know, like playing bingo, for instance, okay? And and it all depends on what what kind of curbs, what kind of safety features are built into the platform. And especially if you're, if you're using them for education and if you're going to have a, a people who are not 18, you have to be extremely careful how you handle that. Good, good advice. I want to talk talk about persona for a minute. So you, again, you you mentioned this. Uh, Jeremy Balinson brings it up in his book, where you know you can take on this whole new persona with uh, an avatar that has unique features that maybe isn't something that in your real world you would be uh, given affordances to. So you could you could, for example, embody a different race or you know hang out with a different culture or become a minority group within VR. Have you tried this and got a sense for empathy by doing this at all? Well, it's interesting that you should mention that mention that because I actually am going to use a story from way back from when I was in Second Life. Now, Second Life does not support VR, okay? It's too old technology, but I do have a female avatar in Second Life, and I do like to visit uh, places that are kind of like uh, dance halls where they've got a really good music stream playing, and I will just park my avatar dressed in a ball gown by the side of the dance floor just to listen to the music. But what happens is, is that I will have male avatars who do not know that I am male in real life try to hit on me. (laughs) And this has been a very instructive thing to me to finally understand from a woman's point of view what it's like when she just wants to be left alone and not treated like a sexual object. That that is a good good example. Keep going. So, yeah, it's been informative. (laughs) I've seen a few companies try and, you know, in the workplace, obviously, diversity is key and understanding different diversities within a workplace. And uh, I've seen a few examples of VR applications trying to emulate that. So I can see how social VR, uh, you know, what would be more interesting to me is whether an AI versus a real person embodying a different group uh, provides a different experience. Yes. 
Um, Jeremy Balenson has a company called Striver, and they actually uh, are a profitable company that markets and sells VR-based training for companies like Walmart and uh, football teams to train quarterbacks, um, to train Walmart employees to deal with an active shooter situation in the store. Um, The reason that this VR training is so effective is because you really do feel immersed in the environment. You're not a passive spectator. You're in the middle of the action. I wonder if there are emotional traumas as a consequence. I'm just thinking from a teacher perspective, you know, A, this would be, you know, obviously we want to teach kids to treat others appropriately and easier said than done when maybe someone's never felt like a minority. So we put them in VR in a situation where they've felt like that, but the danger due to presence and embodiment is are we doing any emotional sort of damage to them as a consequence? Well, the very early, I've been following, I'm an academic librarian. I have access to all the databases at my university library system. And the earliest research that I have seen so far seems to indicate that it's not that Mm. harmful to children. Um, But obviously you would still need to monitor a child's a child's usage, an underage child's usage of VR, and their usage of of social VR mm. platforms. I would agree. You mentioned this already. Facebook Horizon is coming out soon. Are you excited for this new platform? If so, why or why not? Well. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Facebook. I need to explain. Um, I left the Facebook social network as my New Year's resolution at the end of last year, and I asked them to delete over 13 years' worth of my personal data that it had collected on me. I did this in direct response to the Cambridge Analytica scandal that Mm -hmm. happened, which really... Uh, if you have, if you're not familiar with it, there is an excellent Netflix documentary called The Great Hack, H-A-C-K. It's a wonderful documentary that describes exactly how Facebook data was weaponized and used to, among other things, get Donald Trump elected and to get Brexit uh, moving in the U- in the UK. Anyway, we're. Um, this this whole um, I I I have a great, uh, but on the other hand, I'm a I'm a big fan of Oculus VR hardware. I own an Oculus Rift headset and an Oculus Quest headset. So this is where the love hate part of the relationship comes in. In order to be able to visit Facebook Horizon when it launches next year, I have to have an account on the Facebook social network. So I restarted my account on Facebook, but I am damned if I'm giving them one iota of information about myself. I have an account. It's a token account. It's got my name, and that's pretty much it. (laughs) And I'm not going to be feeding in the way I did before when I thought Facebook was such a Even though you haven't put anything up, do you you get many friend requests again? I I ignore the friend requests. I, I have links to a few relatives and 
one coworker, and I've posted maybe two updates. It's so interesting because th this is, you know, if you think about what, what you're excited about, which is social VR, um, this seems a bit of a dichotomy, right? Well, no, the reason I have, I have, I am still a very active user on Twitter. I am still a very active user of Reddit. It's just that I really think that Facebook has really done a terrible, terrible job of mm. safeguarding our information. And I don't want to reward that by, again, feeding all that information into you Facebook. better be careful. They might shut down your Oculus account on you. <laughs> well, no, they won't do that. I paid for it, right? So... I'm not too terribly concerned. However, I don't expect I will be one of the people invited into their closed beta test when it starts. I have been very firmly critical about Facebook there you on go. my blog. Uh, let's let's shift to advice for teachers and schools for a minute and what that might be from you. So, you know, to recap, we've already talked a bit about your thoughts on anonymity. You mentioned that there are lots of benefits to social VR platforms. So let's say you had to offer some sort of counsel to schools on whether they move forward with social VR, because there's more and more headsets starting to enter schools. And so, so uh, what yeah. would you say to them? Okay, well, the first thing that I would tell them is you need to do your homework. You need to do your research. Um, you're probably better off starting off with closed controlled systems, closed controlled environments. For example, there's a social VR platform called Engage, which has partnered with many universities to create immersive courses. For example, they have one uh, whole module where you are on the surface of Mars examining the Curiosity rover. And uh, there's another one where you are being trained as a physician's assistant in a rural hospital in Kenya. These are the kinds of things that are, that are scripted and controlled and not open-ended. And I would think for educational purposes, since you've got a, an end goal, you don't really want to go for a wide open, fully blown, fully open ended experience that you might get in a place like Sansar or High Fidelity. Um, like I said, you need to do your homework. You need to do your research. There's a lot of really interesting products out there. I do talk about some of them on my blog. Engage is a, a really good example of a success, a commercially successful company that is using social VR to craft educational experiences. How about Altspace? Is Altspace also controllable? Uh, not really. It's still very much open-ended and it's still very much mm. open to abuse. Now, one area where Altspace is really, really knocking it out of the park, in my opinion, is they've got great programming. They've got groups that meet every single day of the week. They've got regular worship services run by a pastor out of California. They've got a LGBTQ group that meets regularly at two different time zones. They've really, they're doing a great job, but it's more of a social environment as opposed to a structured 
environment suitable for educational mm. purposes. Good advice. What about you? Let's say someone asks you to build a VR platform for schools. Would, would it be anything to add or be anything different than what Engage is providing? Um, I would actually use Engage as, as the perfect model for what I would build. Um, I also have a, a regular YouTube show called the Metaverse Newscast, where I interview the personalities behind social VR and virtual worlds. And we're currently working on an episode with Engage right now, which I hope will be out in the next month or so, that will give people a bit of a look at the platform and what it can do. I'm, I'm quite impressed with Engage, but there are other educational uh, VR platforms out there as well. And there are some VR platforms that are meant for children as well. What are, what are your goals, Ryan, in regards to keeping moving the needle as it pertains to social VR? I know, you, like I said before, your blog is amazing. You know, uh, what, what's your goals as we move into the new year for that? Well, I kind of tell people that it doesn't really matter what happens at this point. If it's good news, I will write about it. And if it's bad news, <laughs> I will write about it. And um, just uh, in the last uh, last couple of days, a major player in social VR named High Fidelity has essentially, has essentially announced that they will be shutting up shop in January of 2020. This is a platform that has had, uh, it's been around for five or six years. It had a very committed community. And a lot of these people are currently feeling really demoralized, upset, and angry at the direction that this has taken. And it's open source code, which means that they may be able to take a copy of the code and make a new high fidelity somewhere else, although it won't be called that. So there's just so much going on. Mm. I never get bored. Why did High Fidelity shut down? Okay, the big problem with, with most people when they first jumped into creating social VR platforms five or six years ago is that they all anticipated that by this point, late 2019, early 2020, there were going to be millions of people mm. in VR headsets. That has not happened. And part of the reason is, is that the current first generation of VR headsets are still too bulky. They still can't be worn for long periods of time. I can wear mine for about two hours before I have to take it off, okay? Some people can't even do it for 15 minutes when they first start. So there are all kinds of obstacles and roadblocks and many of these companies that poured a lot of time and staff resources into building these virtual reality platforms have not yet had success. And High Fidelity has not had success. They decided to pivot away from the consumer market and market to businesses as a tool to facilitate remote work teams. But they have decided that even that market is not yet viable for them. So they're going to put the whole thing on ice now and wait for the next generation of VR headsets mm. and for I would say years. that with the new Quest, there's a going to be a big push there. I like you, I have uh 
I have an HTC Vive, but I also own just recently an Oculus Quest and have been enjoying my Quest. I just tried hand tracking this morning and that was kind of fun. Yeah, I'm really amazed at what the engineers have been able to squeeze out of the Oculus Quest headset. I think that they're going to sell a lot of units this Christmas, and it will lead to an uptick in consumer use of VR. It will also support those platforms that can run on the Quest. Not everything can. Um, some, some of the platforms that I'm talking about here, like High Fidelity and Sansar, tend to work better on a full-blown HTC Vive setup with a gaming PC or an Oculus Rift right. with a gaming PC. Anything else that you think the listeners might want to hear about social VR before we wrap up? Well, can I pimp my blog? <laughs> Absolutely. I've already pimped it a bit. So. Okay. Uh, my blog is at ryanschultz.com, R-Y-A-N, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z dot com. Uh, I write about any and all aspects of social VR, the older virtual world like Second Life, and uh, basically what I call the metaverse. Awesome. And then uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you on Twitter, how would they do that? Uh, my, my handle on Twitter is Quiplash. Q-U-I-P-L-A-S-H. I also want to put a plug in for you, the, the, for the listeners. And one of the ways I did find you was uh, you were referenced in a Globe and, or not Globe and Mail, in a New York, what was it again? New Yorker article. There, uh, Pat, Patricia Marks wrote a, a sort of a newcomer's guide to VR, and she very kindly mentioned me and quoted my blog. Uh, it's in the December 9th issue of New Yorker magazine. So yes. look for me on news. Well, thanks, Ryan, for uh, sharing your wealth of knowledge and wisdom as it pertains to social VR. If you hang on after the recording, I can just do a, a quick recap with you. Sure.